Pickle, pickle, pickle. Episode 29, we're talking about foreign substances in the college game. We're talking about walk-off, no doubles defense. We're talking about swings and misses versus ground balls. We've got J.D. Martinez coming back from a bad season. And is it poor sportsmanship to win by 33 runs? Check it out. Pickle, pickle, pickle. Episode 29. What are we at? We're getting deep into these. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing, Bobby. How are you doing? Doing well. The reason I didn't look it up is I had to remove Dropbox stuff from my computer because we had so many videos that my computer's terabyte is full of Dropbox video. So I don't look it up every time anymore. So sorry about that. I think if we just say episode next. We're going to have Patrick put in like the horn to bow, 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 and then like put the number in there. Yeah. That might be good. Patrick likes that one. Patrick, producer Patrick's in the room today. He's right. O- he's over there. He's distance. Joining us, uh, getting some warm weather down here in Texas. So that's good. Uh, Going to be doing a lot of work, a lot of videos with him. Pretty excited about that. Um, ready to jump into the topics? All right, let's go. Gonzaga pitcher ejected uh, using foreign substance he struck out 11 guys they were against uh believe tcu i believe um tcu was losing 11 to 1 it was four and two-thirds innings i've got i got some background on this or sorry dallas baptist sorry tcu dallas baptist uh apologize to tcu so he's um four and two-thirds mowing them down they're up 11 to 1 and they call the umpires out and gets ejected um i'll let you talk about it and then i'll give you my inside scoop i'm gonna my favorite part of this whole thing if anybody goes and watches this video my favorite part is and you alluded to this on twitter that it was 11 one when it happened so like what were you doing the first four and a third innings i guess but my favorite part was after the dugout reaction was first of all he didn't know what to do when he got ejected because college players never know what to do when they get ejected because they've never been ejected before so he comes off the field and he came in the dugout and he like slammed his glove and helmet up against the wall. And I was like, bro, you got caught with your hand in the cookie jar. Like you can't slam your glove and, 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 and hat, but be thankful that you got four and two thirds of one run baseball in. So your ERA is probably going down, even though you're not going to get the win. Like it's all part of it, man. So that was my favorite part was the glove slam and hat slam. Yeah, the hat that, spike was good. The hat spike yeah, yeah. for cheating. Like he's mad that he was, he got caught. I no, guess. but it was so asinine because, like, everything about it was ludicrous, right? It's 11-1. You know, game's probably out of reach at this point. Kids cruising. And now you decide, like, hey, let's go check the ball and his glove. And, I mean so – I, I got my inside scoop, so keep going. It's just so – it's so ridiculous. Like, somebody probably on defense used the same ball that he had that he was pitching. Like, nope. keep going. You tell me that. This might – the Donald Trump meme – wrong <laughs> uh that was used in a text this weekend so i group text <clears throat> so here's the deal inside scoop a friend i know knows of the, one of the coaches there so this kid was he was cheating and it was so belligerently obvious that he was cheating that they had it like immediately he, every single time he's touching his glove touching his hat like he was just obvious right the, the balls were coming back to the dugout like they were poop smeared. Like it was, 
like so painfully obvious that he was cheating and and doing this. And I would say that this is use of foreign substance is now just normal. This is it's happening. Uh, it's happening at the professional level. It's happening at the college level. Like this is just a reality of the game right now. So in general, I think people are going to let it slide as long as you've got some like some some manners about it. Like just don't be obvious. Like you're going to do it. Like just wipe your leg or something. You just can't rub it in people's faces. So basically what happened was they were getting lit up. Pretty sure this is the number one, just like the ace. And they just let it go until he was burned. And they just put the game under protest. So they're not going to get the loss. They just like, all right, you're going to cheat. Like if you're going to cheat, we're getting rocked. So our strategy is going to be like, we're going to wait until you're, you've used all your bullets up. You're not going to be able to pitch the rest of the weekend. And then we're going to get you tossed out of the game. And then this game is going to be in a protest. So it's like basically like hit the reset button. That seems like a lot of work. It seems like a lot of work. Well, my follow-up tweet was like, I get it. It's like, I got, now I got my insider info. Uh, I understand the strategy. If I was in the dugout, I might've done the same thing. But at the same time, like what the hell happened to this game? Like we're now creating strategies around players cheating to minimize losses. It just like, we're not even playing baseball. Yeah, that's the epitome of like I'm rooting for a forfeit. You know what I mean? I'm rooting for somebody to forfeit so that I can get the win. I played a basketball game this weekend and I had to take the win because a player on the other team. We're talking been, about a game against children, right? Uh, fourteen year old. It was a mix. It was a mixed bag. Like it was a mixed bag. You played basketball like, against children. No, I mean, are they in I, high school there, yet? There was somebody older than me in the game. Okay, so the father of the children. Yeah, like I mean, why do we why do we why are we prefacing by who was in the game? Doesn't well, it's matter. like you're like, oh, are you going to listen or are you going to just keep saying words? Go ahead. I just want to context. We're big. Peltero's big on context. All right. So it happened to be a basketball game against children. People. No. So you had the two old guys and the really really young guy on my team. So okay, and then G money, the, huh? G money. Yeah. And then the three, like, growing, like, hitting adolescence adulthoods on the other team. And I'm not going to lie to you, they're pretty good. Like, one of them especially. So, it ha- it just so happened that in order for us to win, basically, like, I, the only way we could win is if I, like, take over the game underneath. And it's, like, brutal to play three-on-three three and have to take all the shots. And, you know, I, I, I'm, like, I'm, like, big boy. You love it. No, no, no. I hate it. Like I, have to, I have it. to try to big boy 15-year-olds, and my back feels like I have a katana <laughs> sword sticking through it. So, like, if I make one wrong move, you know, I twist, and then I'm, like, stuck for, like, a good five minutes, whatever. So, anyway, there just happened to be, like, a flying arm on a rebound and it hit the one player with the braces on. And, it, you know, when you have braces, you get the cut. So, it was the first game out of five that my team was actually winning and we ended up getting a forfeit win because they pulled the shoot. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I didn't like it. I didn't like the forfeit win. I, I felt like I really was like – So you, you punched know, a kid to get a win? It's not what I said out loud. But if that's how you want to interpret it, then, yeah, be my guess. Well, yeah. No, it, it's just – it's wild. The, just don't use substances. Or, like, just say, yeah, we're going to use it. Just pick us – like – you can't, you're not going to be able to police this. So, yeah, did you watch? Do you watch Bauer's stuff on momentum at all? 
so uh, he, be more specific. I've watched. I he was doing the it. thing where he went to buy that like really high end car. What's it called? The karate stand or karate kicker? What's that really nice sports car? Bugatti? No, it's better than that. It's like with a K. Anyway, so he was doing this thing where he was out buying cars. He was shopping. He was shop- he ended up putting a down payment on the, this car with a K and a McLaren or whatever. And he McLaren, on his way there, had, he, he had a McLaren. Yeah, but he got he totaled it. He had to get a new one. Um, so anyway, he was talking about Rajay Davis had just called him. Rajay is now working for major league baseball. And I guess their whole, and Trevor said this out loud, I guess their whole conversation was about, uh, Rajay's like on this committee now of like foreign substances with pitchers and figuring out how players really feel about it and what, you know, what needs to happen. Um, again, there's so much, there's, it's so much hypocrisy, I guess, because, you're, it's you're in the just, rule book. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, you're just picking and choosing what rules you're going to follow, right? So, hey, let's punish the Astros and their coaching staff for a rule that's not in the rule book, but let's not punish people for a rule that is in the rule book. And, you know, people are always saying it's, it's not cheating if you don't get caught. I mean, abundantly clear that, like, probably 65 to 70% plus of pitchers in the major leagues are using a substance on their fingers. I was notorious for having to bring a pine tar rag to pitchers that I played with or stick. Um, I watched other pitchers go through the process of literally shaving their left, their opposite, their non-throwing forearm. And they would then go suntan lotion. Um, They would have suntan lotion, rosin, more suntan lotion, sticky spray. And by the time you knew it, if you like grab their arm, your hand would literally get stuck on it. Um, and then, like you said, you could always see the hat, glove, belt, whatever pants thing that pitchers do. Um, I mean, it's so obvious, but people are just picking and choosing when they want to look for it. Like the thing that I have, I get upset about is why does it take the coach on the other team saying something about it for an umpire to acknowledge it? Obviously that's coming from above where the league's saying, Hey, don't police this unless somebody asks about it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. and to your point, you know, be less obvious, I guess, like, Basically, don't be an idiot should be the rule, as it should be in most things. But at the same time, you know, if you're fundamentally affecting the way guys spin the ball and, like, their capabilities of being a pitcher, it's a significant performance enhancer, isn't it? I go back, like, what is performance enhancing? So, like, on the call, somebody who literally didn't take anything and got suspended for something that nobody knows anything about, that – could be just environmental, could be naturally producing the body. Like they literally don't know anything about it and you get suspended for that yet guys are doing things blatantly against the rules. Literally. I mean, putting a foreign substance on the ball to increase spin rate by like 200, 300 RPM on a fastball. Like you're creating an unnatural performance. Isn't that the whole point of like fair competition committee and like fair, like it's just so annoying and frustrating it, it, and hypocr- the, the, the hardest part for me is like there's these stigmas in the world that exist about certain things and they're completely unfounded right like completely unfounded so you perceive certain things to be a certain way case in point would be the astros and sign stealing like it's hysterical this happened in the last three days uh I, I was talking about bregman and like his his B, one of his bp videos when like he's sitting in the cage and he's like working really steep down um, like very Bregman-y in the, in the swings. And somebody's like, yeah, well, it's really easy to hit when you know what's coming. And I turned around to him and I was like, I knew what was coming 85% of the time in the major leagues. Like literally 85% of the time. Like there's no rule against stealing signs because teams are – teams in college, 
I watched Duke play BC this weekend. Duke has all their players with wristbands, so the pitchers look like quarterbacks. They got their whole sign, and they got somebody doing a flipbook in the dugout to call the signs out. I'm like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Like, just tell the other team what's coming. Like, you know, like, let's compete here, guys. Like, if you're the pitcher and you tell the guy that you're throwing a curveball, like, if you make your pitch, you're still going to win. Like, <laughs> with certain plays, it's like, if a bunt surprises you, you got a problem. If a hit and runs, if you're, like, truly shocked that a guy – like, if there's a runner on first and it's a 1-0 count, they might hit and run. Like, there's a there's a possibility. Like, middle infielders maybe talk to each other and be like, hey, maybe we switch it up right here. Is it, is it like, the number two hitter with the leadoff guy on? Is it, like, a guy at the bottom of the order with speed and you're trying to turn it over? Like, just know the situation of the game. And then when it comes to actual pitches, you should still have a pretty decent feel of what's – what the guy's going to throw. If you have feel. I was joking with, you a know how to play the game. I was joking with a couple of my college coach friends that if we, if I ever got on a staff with them that I should coach second instead of coaching first and like stand behind second base, just cause all we're going to do is hit doubles guys. Like we're not hitting any singles. And when I'm coaching second, I'm just going to stay back there. And when you hit a single, I'm just going to be like, Hey, steal second. Is that good? Can we do that? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Because it's, there's yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be Did funny. Segue? You could, Is that you a good media too. You could you could take a camera out there and capture media yeah. at the same time. With a selfie stick. That's perfect. That'll be yeah. you be we'll do a dual role. Yeah. We'll put that on your business card. Second base coach. <laughs> Not the first base, the third base coach. Perfect. Second base coach. That's great. Uh new segment. The situation room. Uh baseball's back. Exciting times. We get to talk about actual gameplay situations, hopefully educate, discuss scenarios, plant seeds. Let's talk about the game. Like the game's awesome. Uh, we're not talking about substance, foreign substances on balls right now and, and committees to determine whether people think it's fair. We're talking about baseball, the game. So you're trying to be Iverson. Yeah, I was trying to. So Oklahoma state is playing a team. They're playing Illinois state. They're playing someone. Ninth inning. I mean, Oklahoma State's top ranked 20 at the moment was ranked 20th in the country. Uh, Illinois State not ranked in the top 20. This would I would imagine this would be a very big win for the program. It's 2-2 in the ninth. Runner on first. Uh, I didn't check the box score to see who the runner was, but the runner was in motion. Lefty batter up. Line drive up the middle. Towards right center a little bit. Uh, runner from first. Scores, standing up. The outfielder in center field, I think he was in the third row. Was playing at the He was like at a certain point, you got to let the, like, the other guy beat us because he hit the ball uh, over the fence. Like, wh- what is the <laughs> – this was painful to watch. When I fir- – my first – the thing I thought was going to happen, my first view of this clip, I was like, please don't throw it to third. Please don't throw it to third because I thought – he was like the runner was moving and I'm like, Oh God, he's going to throw it to third. This is the worst baseball play ever. And then he threw it home and then nobody cut it and it bounced high off the front side of the mound and run scores, victory, airplane. Uh, let's talk about no doubles defense. Shall we? If the ball, if in no doubles defense, like if the guy hits it over your head and it's a homer and you can't take, like you should still have to be able, like run backwards to stop a homer. I hate no doubles defense. I'm gonna tell you why. So I don't many. mind playing like give him like five steps. Give him give Wait. him a couple steps. 
doesn't no like we're gonna talk about this. Do you realize that for every step back you take as an outfielder toward the wall, you're widening the gap between you and the corner outfielder, right? Like so, if you're the center fielder, for every step back now we're widening that gap, and then we make the argument, okay, well we're gonna play the infielders on the lines. Again, like the number of balls, the percentage of balls that have a chance to get hit in those places that would that would affect the game in that way in that moment in time are so minuscule that. I, I guarantee you, and the thing that bothers me is that there's no like analytic on this, and which is crazy to me. Just play baseball. Like, just play baseball. If the guy's going to have to hit a ball 110 over your head to hit a, like, to literally hit a ball that'll score the runner in that situation. And realistically speaking, if he hits that ball and he just happens to line up to you in center field, like, then you're probably not going to win anyway because the next guy's probably going to hit one 111. So, I mean, no doubles defense conceptually. Like the outfielders should create a tick more depth and maybe get your corner infielders a tick more to the line. The problem in college baseball is like they hear no doubles and literally that guy's playing, like, as you said, the third row. And then the infielder is like straddling the foul line. Like that's not the point, guys. Like all we're trying to do is minimize the opportunity of that play to happen. Now, again, this is a runner in motion situation, which changes the dynamic of it a little bit. I'll never forget this. We had won 11 in a row. Right. It's does we won 11 in a row twice in 2015. And we were in a tie game at the Mets. Uh, we were about to beat Syndergaard, I think it was the first day. We had just scored an extra innings to go up three to two. They, we get the first out. Uh, somebody gets walk. Michael Kadire hits into a force out at second. So it's two outs, runner on first base. Michael Kadire on first. We're not talking about Billy Hamilton. Right. And, you know, City Fields decently large and I remember Lucas Duda came up to bat and Ezekiel Carrera was playing like at the left center field wall like at the left center field wall Duda hit a pop-up a mile high behind third base and Michael Kadire scored from first not moving on the pitch I remember that so play if and, and it ended up costing us our winning streak because like if we're just playing straight up like he catches that ball he basket catches it and the game's over so how many outs were there on that play two it's two outs it was it's it's so easy to play Monday quarterback. You can't go right? no doubles on it. But it's so easy no. to play Monday quarterback. But it, it, it it's the whole guys like shifts, guys don't like shifts. Like for th- for a hundred years, you play straight up. I agree at the fact that you should shift if you don't think a hitter's capable of hitting the ball the other way because hitters should be better. But the no doubles thing gets extreme because you can't predict how that ball's going to get hit. And case in point, this guy hit a ground ball up the middle and it ended the game. Right, like it ended the game. He hit a single to center field. And it, was line, it was a line drive up the middle. And yeah. I mean, just it, it's a painful way to lose a game. They're going to, they're going to be telling stories about that Illinois state program for a long time. A painful way to lose a game is Eric Hosmer hits a looping line drive down the right field line. Your right fielder throws it into second base, which is probably the right play at that time to stop him from getting a double. But then Lorenzo came and runs through the stop sign. It's yeah. a painful way to lose any game, but game six of the LCS. Even, Fair. even more pain. But what Fair. I will say in our in, in the Blue Jays' defense in that moment, if he doesn't throw the ball to second, throwing the second is the right play there. But great job by the third base coach. Anytime that ball goes into second base, I think coaches should always wave that runner around if he can run a little bit because it's incredibly difficult, A, for the middle infielder to take that throw and be aware enough like to turn and throw and make a good throw home, number one. Um, but if we don't throw that ball to second, they have second and third and nobody out in that situation. So – there's actually probably a higher likelihood of them scoring two runs than just the one, which I ended up getting one. It's, 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 like, should you concede a run in that spot, like versus playing second, third, nobody out? Because if not, you got to go punch out, walk, double play. 
right? Who was on the mound? Osuna? Yeah, it must have been Osuna. I don't remember. Right, without knowing who's coming up in the lineup. And Osborne hit the ball, so Morales was up next. And then behind him was like Alex Rios. No, Mustakas, then Alex Rios. It doesn't matter. But anyway. Yeah. Baseball's you know, funny I mean, game, look at matchups. If you can get it's tough in the moment for the right fielder to be like, oh, can my pitcher strike out the next two guys? While there's a guy like trying to get to second base, there's a, this is where like baseball is a very fast game when the ball's in play. A super and, slow fast game, yeah. Yeah, in in moments the game is incredibly fast, and anybody that says the game is slow to me, they just they don't understand the game. They don't understand what is happening. Uh, I've seen this happen once with the runner scoring from first. Ozzy Santana, my sophomore year of high school at Trinity, I had like a weird baseball photographic memory. Ozzy Santana scored from first, fast kid alive. Uh, and then the other weird one I've seen, Jeff Barry, my center fielder in college, scored on a f- deep fly ball to center field from second base. The double sack fly. Have you ever seen one of those? Yeah. I was on third. Jeff Barry was on second. Barry Chamberlain had a ball. It was like 4.15 into the corner in like center field. And Jeff Barry scored from second base. And it was awesome. Nice. Double sack fly. You get two RBIs for that, right? You have to. You do. It's a two. It's a two stake night. Two a two two RBI sack fly. Amazing. I would listeners like and comment below if that's ever happened to you. We need to do more more triggers for that for people that participate. If you're on YouTube, can you comment on on podcasts on on Apple? Who knows? Let us know if you ever done that. Patrick's saying no. He's shaking. his head no. Uh, but if you're on if you're on YouTube and you've ever seen somebody double double stake sack fly, let us know. That's a fun one. Like comment uh, here. Or just tell us, like tweet us and let us know if you've had any weird base running things that you want to talk about. Because we like talking about baseball, not about steroids and dr- and sticky stuff on baseballs. It's way more fun. Uh next topic. Red's pitching coach. Quote, I'd rather have a swing and miss than a ground ball. Thoughts. Knowing the Reds pitching coach a little bit, I, I think the context here is there. I don't think there's any pitcher in the world that would, or pitching coach in the world that wouldn't tell you that he would take 27 ground ball outs in a game in 37 pitches and be the happiest guy in the world. But I think what he's, what the, the, I don't know the context of the quote, obviously, but I think what he's saying is the ability to get a swing and miss establishes that your stuff is playing significantly better like if a guy's if you're if you're giving up too many ground balls we're getting swings and misses like your stuff's not playing up right is that fair is that a fair statement yeah my read on it is a ground ball can hurt you a swing and miss can't like a ground ball can end up in a base runner a swing and miss unless it's a strike three that's dropped a swing and miss is not going to result in a base runner yeah so the the pitcher's jobs are to minimize how many runs are scored so if you never get a guy in base you can't score runs the hard part is, in order, like you can't, and this is why the game's changing so much. Like you can't throw a complete game and strike everybody out. It just can't happen. You throw too many pitches. Day and age says don't throw more than one ten. Probably one ten is the threshold. Maybe one twenty. Like later in the season, depending on the guy. Do we know the 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 record for? We know twenty is the strikeout record for a starter. Do we know the number of most strikeouts? In a nine-inning game. 
Uh, all search results are coming back for single game starters. So we're talking about you got Mark. Uh, it was Kerry Wood that struck out 20, right? And then Roger Clemens struck out 20. Clemens. There are a couple guys that struck out 19, a couple guys that struck out 18. I know Clemens was a complete game. Kerry Wood was a complete game. But what I'd be curious to know is number of pitches thrown in those outings, right? And so you have two different guys. Roger Clemens pitched till he was 114. Kerry Wood, like, career derailed as after being one of the most promising young pitchers in the game, right? So you can make the argument both ways. Now, what I'll say about Kerry Wood is he threw – an abundance of sliders, right, which were like his devastating pitch. So does that affect a guy's arm versus Roger Clemens, who was more of a traditional four-seam, you know, slow breaker, uh, and then he developed a split finger later on in his career. But he was just – he was a guy that threw hard early on in his career and just continued to try to throw hard. Um, Kerry Wood had that, like, lower arm slot. You know, I want to know number of pitches yes. thrown in those starts. So what I'm seeing right now is the, is the most strikeouts in a nine-inning game – it doesn't say by a single. It just says like, in a nine inning game is twenty, which surprises me. I thought there might be situations where there's more than twenty, especially more recently where there's you know like the relievers coming in just trying to throw a billion. Uh, most strikeouts in a nine inning game for both teams in the American League is thirty one and the National League is thirty five, and then most consecutive strikeouts seven in the American League and nine in the National League. So we got that going for us. But I don't know the total number of pitches. I hate strikeouts, so I don't even like talking about them. They make me miserable. Yeah. Uh, and they're so normal in a, like in today's game. They're just like uh, – it's just part of the game now. I hate strikeouts. Hate it. Yep. It's uh, – Part of it's just the, the way the game is trended. Uh, next topic, J.D. Martinez. There's an article in the, I believe it's the Providence Journal. Yeah, Providence Journal about his uh, his bad year last year, I guess. Um, had a bad year, how he's coming back from it. Um, there's a quote in there by Alex Cora that I wanted to point out and get your thoughts on. He said, we still believe in this guy. He still has the ability to do damage. He is not one of my biggest worries. He wasn't in sick last year. If a coach said that about you, what would you think? I, I mean, I feel happy, pretty good that he, you know, uh, that he had my back, you know. Um, and, I mean, that seems like a pretty normal thing for Cora to say from my point of view. Like, I, I just like knowing what Alex Cora is and what he stands for. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it makes complete sense to me that he said that. And I would feel, I would feel confident that, you know, he, he knew it was an aberration versus, you know, who I am. Would you feel different if he said, so he said, we still believe in this guy. He still has the ability to do damage. He's not one of my biggest worries. If he said, this guy rakes, we believe in him. He's going to, he's going to, we trust his prep preparation and he's going to do damage this year. The whole, um, like, we still have belief in him. We still like, he's not one of my biggest worries. It's like, I feel like if I'm the man, I don't know if that's like a press thing versus like an internal conversation in the clubhouse where like, you're my guy. I trust you. You're going to smash. Just be yourself. Just go get him. Is that yeah. a message different to you or is uh, it? 
Am I reading uh, into it too much? I mean, look, I, I, yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. Uh, I, I would say it's kind of semantics, right? And, and fundamentally, we're, we're just going to, we're going to try to read between the lines. And this is, I think, part of, I guess, the problem I have with the world nowadays. Like, let's try, let's like pump the brakes on reading between the lines a little bit and saying, I, I, I certainly get your context and what you're trying to say. Um, personally, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel any different about it, but I could see how somebody else would, um, you know, for a manager to say like, you know, this guy's still capable of doing damage. Like I, you know, he's not one of my biggest worries that to me. And I think that's kind of what, what Cora's personality is more like, as opposed to being the outward loud, whatever. Like if it was, I would say Aaron Boone would probably be more, more likely to go like this guy ranks, you know what I mean? Um, well, what about like Pedroia? What about Pedroia with the whole laser show? Yeah, like I mean, that's a that's a very different message than saying he's not one of my biggest worries. In, yeah. it, for that versus what happened, relax, laser show. Yeah, um, it, to me, it's a very it's a very different message when you compare the two. Anyway. Yeah, um, I could see how you think that, but you know, I, I I don't know that I don't know that I would interpret it differently as a player, but I'm too easy going, I guess. Okay. Fair, fair point. What about uh, <clears throat> just the the whole mindset of coming back from a down year? So there, it, also in the article, we talked about how the the yeah. how COVID affected the replay. Read, didn't have yeah. that, didn't know no iPad in the dugout type stuff. It seems like he's such a regimented, routine based player. If you take away the things that he feels like he needs to perform, I could I could make a comment about over-reliance on technology in-game. Who is the, who's, who's got the, uh, the Amish rule in baseball? Who's, who talks about that? Which one of our friends says that? The Amish, they want Amish Yeah, they want Amish rules. Once, it, once the first pitch happens, go Amish style. Just remove all tech. Probably Cam. I don't know. Who said that? That's going to bother me. Amish rules. So, like, Listen, game I, starts, get the tech out. You think about it, right? You think about it, and I'll, I'll say my piece here. I'm very, I certainly understand why JD Martinez could have potentially had a tough year last year and why it wouldn't necessarily represent the type of player he is. JD Martinez cares very deeply about playing the game of baseball. Uh, I said this when he signed his multi year deal. Like, I wouldn't have a problem giving that guy double that because everything he does is going to be vested in his success. Now, here's, here's the biggest issue, right? And I think this is something we, as a society have a tendency not to understand. So the whole, the whole premise is like, let me put in all the work so that I don't have a reason why I, I can't have a reason why it didn't go well, if that makes any sense. Like, so a lot of people do work and like prepare in like in fear that they won't be ready for the moment. Right. Like, so what ends up happening is like, it's all psychological because we can't predict the future. We can't predict our outcomes. And, and one of the things I say to young hitters all the time is like, you can take as many swings as you want this winter, but 0 for 4 is still waiting for you on opening day. Like you can take the most swings out of anyone. And that game, that opening day, don't care. Like that guy goes and makes his pitches. You go 0 for 4. How are you going to handle that? Right. And the biggest difference I would say <clears throat> between the older player who didn't have reliance on, swing mechanics stuff, technology, video, data. They just ha they had to be more feel guys. They had to go with the flow. They had to roll with the punches. 
that's not to say that they didn't prepare to an extent that guys do now, but like in today's day and age, like, Oh, I need the weight room. Oh, I need the crowd chamber. Oh, I need the, the hot tub. Oh, I need the cold tub. Uh, you know, I need my nutritionist. Uh, I need my dry needling. I, I need this. I need that. So like you end up building this sequence of things that make you like become part of your normal. Right. And, and when they become part of your normal, you rely on those things and, and relying on anything at any given point in time. It's like a drug, right? Like that's what addiction is. Like that's, if you have to rely on anything besides the clarity of your brain and your own ability to like make adjustments, you're screwed in baseball. You are screwed. And that's why I'm the least surprised I've ever been that JD Martinez had a bad year last year. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, cause if there was a guy that was a candidate to have a bad year and now mind you, the, the, the team changed, the season changed, no video, new coaches, like, literally everything changed so it was like this massive i don't know what to do with myself like and you're asking a lot out of any human being when you do that to somebody but if at the end of the day if it's you and hit and that's it like that's why i tell people like it's great to build routines it's great to build normals it's great to have things that you do to prepare psychologically but what are you going to do when your normal doesn't exist for you like everybody that goes in the cage and hits like guys, guys that go in the cage six hours before the game or five hours before the game. And they go in, they take BP and then go in after BP. And I say, what happens when you play a 12 o'clock game? Are you going to get to feel at 6am or is it more important to get to sleep? So the, the this is again, why the brain is the, the most important tool because whatever you rationalize in your head that you need to do to get ready to play is what you need to do to get ready to play. And if you build in the crutch saying that I don't have the thing that I needed to play, then you're already you're already done. Yeah, and we've we've heard stories about that from uh, college pitching coaches with driveline type stuff. And this isn't a knock on driveline. It's just some of the kids are like, oh, I can't I can't go in the game until I get my pile work in. I I, I just can't pitch. I'm not going to be successful. And they psych themselves out before they even get a chance to get on the mound. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, there's a book. Um, it's the mental game of tennis. Very simple. Awesome. Awesome book for any coaches out there. If you've never heard of it. Uh, get it. It is called uh, Inner Game of Tennis. Fantastic book. Like in terms of coaching strategy and individual player development, it's phenomenal, like a must read. Um, one of the things, one of the themes in that book is when they talk about high level performers, they're, the way that they work is different than non-high level performers. Like I talked about, I think it was Roger Federer where he will go out and he doesn't need to go hit balls for two hours. He goes out and finds his rhythm, f- feels what he needs to feel, and then he can stop. He's not chasing something every single day because he's he's established what he needs to do, what he needs to do. So that mindset and that preparation, getting to that level where it's like, I don't need 500 swings. I need 20, and regardless of how they go, I know where I'm at for that day. That's, that's, the that, whole, that's my barometer. I'm like, that, that's I know where I am. If I, like, I love that, that phrase, find your rhythm. And it, it, it's just like, you have to have small, like little simple things to, to rely on. You have to have defaults to go to because the circumstances are likely to change it on any given day. You get a rain delay, you get this, you get that. Man, like the world tries to throw curveballs at you all the time. You've got to be able to be adjustable if you want to be great. That's my biggest takeaway or my biggest yeah. point to make there. Absolutely. All right. Uh, post show. Auburn beat Alabama A&M. 
by the score of 33 to nothing. 33 nothing in a baseball game. Um, I have the box score. Uh, I want to go through a lot of crooked numbers here. So it was, it was nothing, nothing going into the third. Auburn, the home team, scored five. Then they scored 14. Then they scored four. Then they scored five. Then they scored four. Then they scored one. My favorite so, part is Alabama and m only made one error. Only one error. But I want to go in uh, anatomy of a 15 run inning. Or a 14 run inning. Ready? Uh, hit by pitch. Walk. Hit by pitch. Walk. Double. Ground ball out. Single. Walk. Walk. Single. Fly out. Double. Single. Double. Double. Homer. Fly out. Happens quick. 14 runs on eight hits. 14 runs on eight hits. That's a lot of gifts. That's a lot of, uh, I'm going to put the first four guys on without a ball being in play. That's painful. That's painful. Um, there was a there was a tweet that said, ever heard of sportsmanship? And sportsmanship was all caps. And then I replied to it that said, ever heard of pitching in all caps? As a jo- And then the guy was like, was that supposed to be funny? And then I said, yes. Yeah, it was supposed to be funny. So the thing, like the total, they scored 33 runs on 27 hits. Um, if they're like stealing bases up by 18, that's pretty bad. Like we don't I mean, want to do let's that. Let's bear in mind they beat them 18 to two the day before. So this wasn't like, yeah. I mean, this is like this is like David versus Goliath, guys. I mean, yeah, we're, we're talking yeah, about this two is... teams that shouldn't be on the same field with one another. Yeah. So. Um, the, the guy did score. He stole second, but it was five, nothing like the first guy that got hit by a pitch stole second. But after that, I think it's more insulting when you stop playing the game. So whenever I coached sure. like the, the younger levels, we would always advance a base on a, on a wild pitch, but I would stop him at third. I wouldn't let him score because I just wanted like the other team to have an opportunity to make an out. I wanted to, I wanted to force a batted ball to score a run, but yeah, there, if it's like no, a wild pitch and you keep a runner on first, that's, you're not, you just stop no, playing. Like there's no there's no right way to do this. Like people that are complaining about sportsmanship, like you got play, like you got play, you still compete. If you're a hitter, you still want to get hits and you still want to, you're creating, you're creating like creating stats. Like the, like the whole premise of the game is to compete and win. And I mean, look, you can see stuff like this in college baseball more often than you can anywhere else, because I think there, there's just more opportunity for, I don't know, discrepancy like that. Like just, separation between one team and another. Um, and, and I think that is the case here, right? You, you get outscored 51 to two in two days. You're probably not supposed to be on the same field with the other team. Yeah, and it's that. nice that they played them and stuff, but um, look, uh, the, the thing that I, I was really interesting about what you said is the inning started with walk, hit by pitch, walk, hit by pitch, walk. So the only way innings like that usually happen is if there's an abundance of free bases given away, whether it's walks, hit by pitches. It's hard and, to get eight. It's hard to get eight hits in an inning. Yeah. The funny, th- the funny thing is, is like it's easier to get eight hits when you have second and third, nobody out, when you have bases loaded, nobody out, and you're getting into situations where all the pressure's on the defense and the offense has is in the driver's seat. So, I mean, I'm not surprised that it started hit by pitch, walk, hit by pitch, walk, because now, and especially in college baseball, we talk about this all the time. Like the team that has the ability to minimize damage the best is usually going to win. And I usually call it pooping down your leg. I was if you poop down your leg, if you poop down your leg the least in college baseball, you got a pretty good chance to win. I think that's I think we true. should make shirts. Yeah. The, just don't poop down your leg. I think that's a good shirt. I, no, poop down I your leg the shirt. least. 
Poop down your leg the least. Because everybody poops down their leg, Bobby. We all do it at some point. Right? We're all babies. We all poop down our leg. True. It's amazing, though, when you go to college games and it's just like whoever whoever poops down the leg the least wins a game. It's just you got to not let the wheels fall off because this is the emotion of baseball. Like the game gets emotional in certain moments because, again, it's a slow moving game. There's not a whole lot of intensity with nobody on and nobody out. No count. And then all of a sudden that could turn into second and third. Nobody out. And now you're like, oh, oh my God. like it's harder to create those situations, those feelings in a bit in a basketball game and a football game. And uh, they don't like they don't sneak up on you. You know what I mean? Like they don't just show up. Like in basketball, you're up and down the floor. You're always in the flow of the game. So you feel that big moment at the end because the game's close and it's going to get there, so you're preparing for it. Where in baseball, like, it's, they're just hard to come by. Unless you're playing in, a, in an elimination game or a winner-take-all game or whatever, you don't feel that from the first pitch. You know what I'm saying? So the, the, the emotional swings in baseball are what allow that stuff to kind of get out of control. Yeah. Yeah, and there's no clock to save you in baseball you just got to wear it when i coached when i was coaching younger teams i would just scream play the batter just don't like forget about the runners like if they if they give you an out but like just get the guy that's hitting right now don't worry about everybody else don't panic just get one out at a time put one back one wheel back on at a time don't try to do everything at once play the batter i just just, play the batter play the batter how about not even play the batter how about play the pitch like play this pitch independent of anything else that happens, like go win a pitch. Yeah. Just win the pitch. And then too, win the it, next one. I tell people this all the time. It's too easy to be good. And it? it's too simple to be good. People want it to be harder. They, they want it to be hard. Like they're trying to make it harder on themselves. Like it's a simple game guys. Like we, we got to We can't think about the third pitch if we haven't made the first one yet. So I don't know, man. Yeah. It's, so my, my, the follow-up question is what's the worst loss you ever had? In college, I had a lot of bad ones. Like we weren't good, so assume I, you wasn't good at baseball. Yeah, I mean, I could go through some box scores. I think, I think I, ha- I have by, a box score prepared. I have I've a good def- story for mine. I've definitely lost by twenty. I mean, pretty. And professional baseball, I don't. I'm not really sure. I'm gonna go look at assumption. You tell your story. <clears throat> All right, my first collegiate game was against University of Maryland, March eighth, two thousand two. I have the box score right here. Uh, March 8th, 2002, we got on a bus. We drove down from Vermont. So, like, we're going from the Arctic of Vermont, practicing on a gym floor to the University of Maryland, which being a kid from New Hampshire is a little intimidating. Maryland is like a big name school in my eyes, you know, ACC baseball. This is like, it's the Big Ten now, but yeah, this is, well, it was at the time ACC. I know. I I was was like, I'd throw that in there. Like, Maryland basketball was really good at the time. You know, it was like, Maryland is like, oh, that's a big deal. Uh, we gave up nine in the first, four in the second, nine in the third. We're down 22 nothing, three games into my college career. And I'm going, what did I get myself into? <laughs> what is going to, like, is this, are they going to stop scoring runs? Like, what? Because we, like, this is our first game of the year. We threw our ace. He didn't make it out of the first inning. Yeah. Then we brought in a kid just to, like, mop it up. The kid who was a freshman, he went two innings, nine hits, 11 runs scored. And I'm like, oh my god, these are like two of our better arms, and we just got rocked. Yeah. We got to play these guys two more times this weekend. What's gonna happen? Yeah, uh, we ended up losing twenty three to to six that game. The good thing is they reset the score to zero zero after the game's over. Yeah, you know yeah. what's hysterical? I'm gonna tell you something funny. 
I want in college, I won, we went nine and 33 my freshman year and we won two games. One of them, we won 21 to four and the other one, we won 22 to two and we only won nine games that year. You should have saved some of those runs. Yeah. You think it's crazy. We we went 27 and two and 27 and 22 that year. We were second in our conference. We had, I mean, we were a pretty good team, but we just, I mean, we lost the first we lost innings the game, were, we lost the game 21 to four. I got here. Uh, in that series, we lost, I think we lost all four. We lost 14, three, 21, four, four to two and 16 to seven. So that wasn't it. Um, but and then we, we beat Franklin Pierce, who was one of the better teams, 22 to two. We lost 16 to seven to AIC. Um, the St. Rose series at the end was really funny. Um, we, we lost 18 to four. We lost 22 to 14. We won 16 to 15, and then we lost 15 to seven. So go figure. That was a fun weekend. Um, That's all one but, weekend? Yeah, it was a fun weekend. We had, I mean, it was a fun weekend. Uh, Patrick, what was the score of the game? 20, we lost 26 to 24. 26 to 24 in a baseball great. game. Did you ever have a team ERA? 50-run game. Did you ever have a team ERA? <laughs> That's a lot of 50 runs in one game. I need My, to know what's the highest highest scoring MLB game. The box score in that game is absurd. The, there was multiple swings back and forth. Highest scoring MLB game, 49 runs. You guys want? You guys have the record potentially. Who? Us? 19 in 19, August 25th, 1922, the Cubs defeated the Phillies 26 to 23. That's the highest scoring MLB game ever. I thought you were talking about the Blue Jays. No. Um, hey, is a team ERA of nine six three good? No, it's really bad. Yeah, that was our team ERA my freshman year. Now, bear in mind, we were we our opponents had a team ERA of six nine five, and we were nine and thirty three. Like, if you score, if you hit three twenty nine as a team with fifty homers in forty two games and two hundred eighty seven runs scored, like you should probably have a good year. And you were nine and what? Thirty three. That's <laughs> hey. That ain't it. That ain't it. Pitching? Yeah, pitching. Ever heard of it? Sorry to all the your former teammates. Um, I'm trying to find the most runs scored. There's this. It's like a big long article. I just want the bullet points. It looks like uh, 25 to one was the the most runs scored, and like 26 runs can't be the most runs scored in a game in my all minor league baseball history. I'll find it. 51. 51 run marathon. When you showed me that 33 nothing and you said it was Auburn and Alabama AM, I thought it was a football score. I thought they just started playing football. The uh the Lake Elsinore Storm won 33 to 18. I don't know if this is a minor league game or not. High Desert Mavericks, is that is that affiliated baseball? Yeah, High Desert's in the uh, Cal League. If that's still a thing anymore. The California Penal League. Uh, it's probably going to be like the Geico League soon. They're just going to sell off all the rights. Yeah. Uh, there's a 55-run game between St. Paul and Kansas City in the Western League. Good stat days. That was in 1896. That's a long time ago. Good stat days. So we got we'll, – we'll look into this. Comment your wildest loss you've ever had in below. How's that for a prompt? That Comment your worst single game at the plate and your best single game at the plate. I've played two 20-inning games. 
The first one I was 0 for 8. The next one I was 0 for 7 to start the game. And in the 19th, I hit. You were 0 for 15 in a doubleheader? Going no, through it wasn't a doubleheader. They weren't the same day. One of them was in 2008. One of them was in 2013. Oh. And those are two of my, my two best years statistically. Literally. Two of them. 2011's mixed in there. 2008, I hit 336 with 16 homers. I took a 0 for 8 in a game. And then 2013, when I was in AAA, when I won the MVP, I hit 354 with 24 homers in 89 games or something. And I was 0 for 7 in Toledo going into my last at-bat. And it, no, it was the 19th, so we played 19 innings, and I hit a homer. That's a good – that's a way feel better. I grabbed RC's bat. I was like, I don't even care anymore. The dudes next to on deck circle were making fun of me, and I was like, hey, man, I make fun of myself right now too. And then I hit a bomb, and I was like, oh. See how that story ended with me hitting a homer? Always does. Always does. Good times. All right. I think that wraps it up for us. Like, comment, share, hit the bell, blah, 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 all that crap. Algorithms. Anything else? I don't even know what you just said. It's like a YouTube thing. People say that when they sign off, they're like, oh, it really means a lot if you could subscribe uh, and like. I don't know why you said the algorithms thing at the end, though. Because it's all the algorithm. Oh. It's all about the algorithm. Okay. All right. That's it. Pickle out. You're supposed to say it. You always say it. Pickle out!